Welcome down to this week's episode of Paddy Talks Golf, powered by Four Golf Custom, the best club fitters you will find on the planet, let alone in the Republic of Ireland. If you haven't been there, go there today. Link is in the notes below, or head over to fourgolf.ie for slash booking and book your tour level custom fitting experience today. Talking about the tour. Or do you, Seamus? Hey, I'm Seamus Power on the PGA Tour. If you're looking for the best golf club reviews out there on YouTube, just check out the guys at 4Golf Custom. They've custom fit my golf clubs for years and they're the best in the business. Straight from the power's mouth. You had it here first. This week's guest, though, is Mark Moriarty. Who is that, you might ask? Mark is a golf nut, like me, and a good friend at this stage. Ahead of opening his new Dublin restaurant later this year and his, and his first book, Boat launching later this year. Mark can be found working numerous food projects, including TV, brand consultancy, pop-up restaurants, ambassador roles, while keeping an eye on new opportunities. You might recognise Mark from RTE at one, presenting Beyond the Menu, cooking with Mark Moriarty, but he's on our TV screens at the moment. Tonight, 8pm, RT1, second season of Off-Duty Seth. He does some work with Diageo Reserve. He does some work for MNS. Oh, but he is a golf nut. So he's a golf nut. Hence, he's on this show. Roll it. There, come I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's Joe Bradley? What do you get at? Donald Donovan is the last quarterback. He hits it. He hits it. It's over the bar. Oh, holy Moses. It's all on this. Round and over. Oh, what a finish. Well, here it comes. to tee it up. I am. Looking forward to it. How long do we know each other? Um, I suppose Instagram message maybe 2019, just before COVID. Correct. I think I put it out there that I was playing in a certain golf course and I needed I needed some friends. Uh, might have been on Twitter. For some reason I think it might be Twitter. I might have been like, no, it wasn't that public. It was, I'm playing here this day in the home course. Lynch and uh, oh yeah, 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 and I put it in a box, sort of like fastest finger first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were the only one that put the <laughs> <laughs> one that answered. And I had a great day in Lynch as a result. It was decent. We're oh. still waiting for that uh, rematch uh, with your friend in a certain PGC. Andrew McGovern is the flakiest man in Ireland, yeah, and he very much does owe you a round in Port Marnock Golf Club, which he has. He hasn't contacted you, has he? No, blanked. Blanked, yeah. Ever since he walked off that day, we even paid for his food. Yeah, and he yeah. said, we'll definitely go to Port Marnock Golf Club and hasn't contacted you since. Yeah, just as well, we have other friends in higher places. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> we are in the K Club. Uh, after Mark beat me on the 18th, I blew my approach shot way right and proceeded to get down in four. Uh, we're in the new... Uh, Palmer Clubhouse was updated with the new ownership a couple of years ago, and it's unreal. Uh, we're outside in a corner. If you hear sultry tones of jazz music, that isn't the new backing track to this podcast. It's in the other side of the restaurant here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've only ever come in for a coffee into the nice leather-bound chairs inside, but this outdoor area is class. Yeah, beautiful. Great golf course as well. Great day. Definitely the better golfer, golfer lost um, today. We were the only one hitting golf shots. That bottom groove is worn out, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the cake looks absolutely savage. Um, we were even saying in between the south course and the north course. It's World Cup one today. What is it? Start of April Masters week. The place is absolutely immaculate. So uh, I think we're looking forward to seeing how the professionals get on in September. Probably not from the places we were hitting it today. Uh, I don't think many of them will have 206 yards in on par four if I like it. <laughs> um, absolutely. But no, like, blessed to be here. Um, thanks to certain people in the K-Club for having us out. But this podcast is about Mark Moriarty. And people were like, why is he having this dude from TV, this chef, on? Because I like to have chats with my friends on this podcast as well. And it's my podcast. And I can do what I want. Uh, <laughs> it's not a, it's not, not an RTE house. But since we've played, played with each other a few times, uh, I'm finally good enough as you. Uh, on the books, anyway, on paper. We both have three. Yeah. We're both uh, chancing our arm off three. But you're a dub who loves Kerry. Yes. Yeah, I am, actually. How'd that happen? Um, so my father's from, from Ventry, in West Kerry. Um, we would have spent a lot of our time as kids down there, so summer holidays, Easter, Christmas, weekends even. Um, and I've just always been in love with the place. 
a lot of happy memories down there, a lot of good friends. My first job down there, first round of golf down there, dare I say my first kiss down there. Um, and um, being from Dublin, living in Dublin, it's always nice to have, I suppose, a, a second home that you can go down to and almost escape to. Um, and very fortunate from a golfing point of view as well to be a member up here in Dublin and also down in uh, in Kemchbel and Dingle Link. So, um, yeah, I love it for that. Hopefully, will continue till till the end of my days. What's your earliest memory of golf? It's actually in Kemchbel um, with my father, who's a great man, but God bless him, not the greatest golfer in the land. Although he did beat me the last time we played for the first time in years and my earliest memory was Steve Fahey who's just newly retired as the general manager in County Bale said there you go now Mark there's your membership and I had a set of McGregor golf clubs which I got in we went out to Hoth at the time to get them a half set and off I went down the first in County Bale and teed up halfway down the fairway I had a little blue driver and just fell in love with it from the moment I hit a golf ball I remember thinking I need a handicap but not really been able to play 18 holes and I remember Steve as Steve would say he goes well what do you think you'd shoot in 18 holes stick it on a scorecard there and he multiplied it by 3 and he goes there you go 18 there's your handicap off you go that's I suppose 8 years of age I took me about how old are you 8 years of age 8 years it probably took me about 6-7 years to play to 18 but I got there eventually and uh Yes, yeah, Steve Fahey and my dad were the, the, the two people that sort of introduced me to golf. Class. So, growing up was this, what part of Dublin? Uh, Black Rock there, Black Rock, Salorgan. Very good. So, is that where you grew up then? You kind of spent holiday time back west or? Yeah. So, a couple of, like, one weekend a month you'd go down to Kerry and then when it came to summer, straight down when school ended, end of May, early June. And then um, when I got a bit older, working there for the whole summer uh, actually the first time I spent Christmas outside of Ventry was down a few years ago when I was living down in, in Melbourne so we always had our Christmas thing there um, but yeah a lot of a lot of, a lot of good memories because it was always the sort of time off from school was, was down there So what was it like growing up in Black Rock versus growing up in we'll say Ventry Dingle was it a case of uh, <laughs> very different? Because like I lived abroad for a couple of years, and like for people to understand me, I had to like assimilate to the local language or like the local inflections. Yeah. So, like yeah. Uh, when I went to Cork for college, I'd come back the weekend with a Cork accent, like pure boy, like hundred percent. Play football, and they'd be like, "Oh, here's the Cork lad home now." And then I'd go back onto Cork and be like. Here's this absolute bogger down from Clare. So yeah. was it a bit like that for you? D- you definitely. go to Dingle and it's like, here's this dub coming down. And then when you're back in Dublin, you had a bit of a Kerry blowing going. Yeah, it was very much in Dublin, it was who's the weirdo wearing the Kerry jersey. And when I was in Ventry, it was who's the weirdo with the Dublin accent wearing the Kerry jersey <laughs> on both ends. Um, but like from a, a my actual job which is not golf it's cooking that's where my sort of interest in cooking came from was down there was from fishing and being by the sea and an interesting ingredients and from a golfing point of view it was Count Bell. I was only a, I was a member there for 10 years before I ever really played in Dublin so that was my my place to play golf um and I think it was really when I got to 15 and started working in Dingle um, and sort of throw myself into the community there and worked in the Charthouse restaurant for two or three summers and you kind of get to know everyone then at your age group even though you're not in school there but you're, you're seeing people and you're working with people and likewise then playing for the golf club in Jimmy Bruins and Junior Cups and um, like the first time we played we got to the Munster final with Jimmy Bruin and it was kind of like okay you felt a bit more part of the community you met a lot more people and um it was a it was a bit better then when I got to my sort of late teens, and in Dublin it was just Dublin was was home as well. Um, so obviously it was based there, and I had my whole group of friends. And then I had the guys and the girls down in Kerry, and we had actual great friends, the the O'Reillys as well, who were from Mallow, but they'd spend their whole summers down there. And people down there were were, were great, and you just became we semi locals was the term used for us when you'd be out in town on a Wednesday night in Dingle. We used to go to Mass in a scanner, um, because like 
for whatever reason, the local church wasn't up to standard. <laughs> we go 20 minutes out of our way every Sunday to get a scanner just past the hinge. And like, there was a noticeable difference in the congregation of uh, Bank Holiday or May to <laughs> mid-September to such a degree that, you know, at Easter now, a couple of weeks ago by the time this podcast comes up, it's Masters because we sit down in the cake over here and Easter Sunday Lumen and Bank Holiday stable tours and stuff. Who would say it's Easter holidays for Scanner Church and uh, one of the best crack priests going. Uh, <laughs> we look down the congregation on Easter Sunday and, you know, there'd be like three deep at the back of the church, like throngs, people standing everywhere, no space to, to swing a cat at low and sit. And they go, I, like, start of a sermon. They'd be like, well, it's great to see the Bread and Milk Brigade down again. <laughs> <laughs> so you were much more than we, the Bread and Milk Brigade. We got brought to Mass once a year on Christmas Day, which was bad enough, but then you'd be down and you'd be an Irish, you're in the Gale Talk, so I hadn't a clue. <laughs> it's double as bad. <laughs> what did you, uh, what was it like to, as your teenage years growing up? What did you do for fun between Venti or Dublin? Um, that wasn't sort of, um, it wasn't your traditional teenager. I was never really into the kind of teenage discos or drinking too early or any of that. Sliding the back of Gainey's. Uh, well, no, I've, I've actually I do remember going to the Blizzards in the Hillgrove at 15 and scared shitless because I was 15 and it was like, oh, gosh. I remember going into Paco's on John Street, Tommy Griffin's bar. And it was a, a life-defining moment when he goes, right, lads, I'll serve you, I'll serve ye. But your man's your man's very young. <laughs> Not serving him. And then going up the road to the hill grove, somehow getting in with some class of a fake ID and been so excited I went through the door I went, I got in, lads, I got in, I got in to be immediately dragged out and listened to the blizzards from outside the wall of the hill grove. Um so it was yeah, it was a uh, played a lot of golf, um did a lot of cooking, a lot of fishing, um I suppose not not your not your not your average teenage years. Um, I think that's good. I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I grown up, it was uh, you had to get driven by your parents everywhere, so that's a bit like Ventry. Yeah, you weren't going yeah, to yeah. get driven. Yeah, you weren't yeah. going to walk the six miles. Uh, to I have, to but you didn't oh, want to. Oh, oh, <laughs> um, there's many night my road home was uh, moonlit walks home. Yes, an yeah, hour, yeah. Uh, from Lahinch. It's a 15, 16 year old. Very much like, like country living. Yeah. You, know, you get up, you, you go fishing, you play a bit of golf, you have a bag of chips in the pram or down by the pier yeah, or, yeah. or whatever. Very happy. Like no. Go mad and get a strawberry milkshake. You know, <laughs> two quid in the pram or something. Yeah. I used to actually go back to Cairn Chabelle when I was, my granny would mind me when I was kind of 14, 15. And the, the gig was she'd drop me back to Cairn Chabelle in the morning and uh, I'd give a handout upstairs in the in the restaurant I do a bit of hoovering or whatever and uh, John Joe who was, used to run the bar back in the day would make me he'd make himself and myself the breakfast if I did the hoovering and then I could go to the putting green and maybe play in the afternoon I wouldn't be picked up till four o'clock um, so it was good eventually that I made a few friends because hanging out with uh, John Joe for too many years wouldn't have been too good for me so we'll fast forward a bit in terms of if not in a corporate environment. Let's just some random or comes in the door here and says, "Oh, Mark Marty, I know you from somewhere. What do you do?" So if there was Mark Marty, what do you do? What do I do? I get the question a lot. Yeah. What's uh, the, I I just in this podcast. What's the LinkedIn type? Yeah, <laughs> I'm a chef first and foremost. Um, happen to have a couple of TV shows, um, and I do a bit of brand consultancy behind the scenes. But yeah, very much chef first and foremost. Not in a restaurant at the moment, but been been. 12 years coming on working in restaurants now everywhere from Charterhouse and Dingle to Michelin star restaurants in Dublin to us winning two Michelin stars uh, in the greenhouse to working in Melbourne for a year uh, so very much based on that and, and hoping to get my own place open in the next 12 months um, don't forget the book don't forget the book and, and the book yeah, yeah we have a book coming out in October which is the first one I'm doing um, but very much um, I suppose anything around food so yeah i have a company since 2015 and we do a lot of work with rt we sell the shows internationally that's all based around showcasing simple home cooking for people and showcasing producers we've documentary series beyond the menu we've done which showcases the best chefs and -and up-and-coming talent in the country and very much the people behind the food as opposed to just a boring show about food 
And then obviously, from a marketing point of view, a lot of big brands and big companies uh, sell things through food. Um, so I work with a lot of them behind the scenes on, on recipes, uh, social media content, that kind of thing. That's a lot of the core of things you wouldn't see. Uh, and then, yeah, as I said, I was a chef for so many years and was sous chef when we won two Michelin stars. So I suppose working at the, the very highest level, um, which gives credibility to everything else I do. What was the compelling event to go chefing? Now, I want the story you told me and my mother in things like that showcase, please. Remind me. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Because <laughs> my mother's a home economics teacher. Yes, gotcha. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I was into cooking, fishing into f- ingredients. That became an interest in cooking. was lucky that I was the YouTube generation, so I could look up Hessen Wundtall or Gordon Ramsay. TV shows were just coming on. Being a chef was a cool idea. Um, the Naked Chef? The, the Naked... Love Jamie Oliver. That was a, that was a fantastic show. Massive still is. Yeah, Unbelievable. And I can cook for myself, even as a home economics, home economics teacher's child. Yeah. It sounds fantastic, but she cooks everything. You yeah. get to cook fuck all. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> so he, I learned through Jamie Oliver. And, and he, uh, 15 Minute Meals, is it? Yeah. Yeah. He's done so much for our industry. Um, but yeah, so I was obviously into food, and then I did home economics in school. I had a very good home ec teacher who had been a chef in a former life, sort of noticed the interest in food and encouraged me when it came to transition here when you do your work experience to go and see what it's like to work in a, a kitchen. And it was very much about don't just work in any kitchen, go and see the best and the hardest. They generally go hand in hand. So I wrote, I sat down and I wrote a handwritten letter ten times with my mother on basically saying I want to be a chef but I'd love to get a taste of what it is to be a, in the best kitchens and uh, sent them off to what I considered to be the 10 best restaurants at the time. I think it was 15 years of age. Three of them got back to me, and I ended up doing um, doing some work experience in three of the top restaurants in Ireland. Um, Don't worry about that. There, there, there was moon stuff here. Don't worry. <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a very So we'll, we'll cut back to the original question and start <laughs> from scratch. Just hang on here now. Yeah. This just proves that it's like a real podcast. Yes, it is. Because you don't like this wouldn't be on Joe Rogan. No, you know I mean, this no, no, is no, no. real life. Well, will we go Raw. from the top, <laughs> or will we continue? No, um, three restaurants <laughs> got back to you. Three restaurants got back to me, and um, actually got a letter back. I still, I think, I still have the letter I got from Kevin Thornton in two thousand and seven. Anyway, spent a bit of time in all the kitchens, got treated like royalty as a kid, rocking up in my school uni- well, school uniform, stuck on an apron, and ever since the moment I stepped in those kitchens, I thought, this is the, this is the job for me. When you walked into the first kitchen, were you worried? Because I'd be, like, freaking out. Because, like, <laughs> not going to, but, like, I wanted to be an engineer, right? And I, got, in college, I was, like, 18 years of age, I got, like, this weekend shift in... Dupuy Ireland, so a massive deal. Like, this is a robot to polish me. It's like really yeah, sexy yeah. at the time, right? Far from like um, the high life of a Michelin star chef. But it was like, this robot was worth half a million quid. You know, and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, I was so intimidated. Yeah. Right? All I had to do was press buttons. But like, when you walked in, school uniform, whatever, apron on, what was the mindset like? Were you, were you not? Shit. No, I was just bowled over by the whole thing because I'd been like looking up this restaurant online. I'd watched all the videos. I'd seen the website. I'd been cutting out recipe inserts from the Sunday Business Post from this chef, and um, he actually wasn't there the first day. And I remember when he actually walked in on the second day, it was like Jesus Christ Himself had arrived, and it was I was in awe, and I was just like blown away by the whole atmosphere. Um, the ingredients, just the theatre of a professional kitchen, the copper saucepans, the the, the chat, the food, the flavours, um, kind of floating on, on cloud nine. It's like it's like if you if you were a golfer, it would be like going to Augusta. It's the same kind of thing. It was for me. It was one of the the best kitchen in Ireland with a Michelin star above the door. It was like going to the Holy Grail and actually being immersed in it. Um, and it's funny because I'm very good friends with. The head chef, who was in Thornton's at the time, Graham Neville, I play golf with him all the time now. And I go, do you not remember me coming in in 2007? He goes, I haven't a clue, to be honest with you. We had so many through the doors. But one thing that I do take from that, and I've taken with me ever since in my work, is how well I was treated going into those kitchens and the effect that had on me. And we get 
kids and young people coming into the industry all the time and they used to come into the kitchen, the greenhouse and intimidating place to come. And I always remember, just sit them down, smile at them, tell them what's happening, get them involved, even if it's not a, of any consequence to your day's work. Make them feel like they're involved because it has a massive impact in any job or any workplace. Because if I had gone in and people had just ignored me and I'd been treated like shit, I probably wouldn't be a chef to this day because it's your first experience is such a paramount uh, impact on, on what you do for the rest of your life. Like anything, like there's a reason I'm in sales. Do you know what I mean? Because that first uh, experience I had for like my first job, um, I was passionate about how things work. It wasn't sexy. Yeah. The beef industry. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's a parallel opposite of like, yeah. um, what do I think is a, a good looking job or whatever. I was just interested in how stuff worked. So that whole process of like, farm to box in my yeah. <laughs> in my experience within like at the other end the customer facing I enjoyed was selling to food service yeah and that was I was part of the Michelin star chef program in Italy like on the other side yeah in terms of like how important the fine ingredients are and like farm visits around Ireland and maybe the side of the beef industry no one fucking knows about yeah yeah <laughs> like, uh, you just look at beef prices or whatever prices and sustainability you have to like bring in steaks on trucks to Italy isn't sustainable yeah. but compare that to containers come from Argentina and it's much more sustainable yeah 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 you know um, but like you said if it wasn't for that first three four years where it was intense culturally not great but in terms of the sense of commerciality and the like the habits around work ethic and like 14 hours was nothing when I was 20 to 24 it was like expectant, expected I was like if I did an 8 hour work day I felt like it was half day um, but it goes it's like and anyone like we all do our job because everyone has to have a job and it's like if someone comes in and they've got an interest you gotta you've gotta nurture that they mightn't be perfect they might be making loads of mistakes but if they want to be there and want to learn it's important to manage that properly because like attitude is everything and so many people can can fall through the cracks and it's again as i say it's one thing i've taken with me all the time is we used to get people in and you're like okay they might be very good at what they're doing today and they might be making a mess of chopping the chives and peeling the spuds or whatever and they might be slow but if you can see the spark in their eye that they want to be there and they want to work you can work with that and i think from been a kid going into kitchens at 15 years of age I fell into the right people who could see I was into into food and wanted to to work to, to, to be good at it and they took that on board and treated it properly and I think that's one of the biggest lessons in, in any workplace or any life yeah 100% and it's like you work for the people around you more so than for yourself in a lot of places yeah and like in business or in sales where I am and you're only as good as your manager sometimes mm. in terms of them nurturing that or seeing how coachable you are and you'll find like I found in the various industries I've worked if everyone wants to go on LinkedIn you know Porter Glynn's LinkedIn you'll find <laughs> it's quite buried industry in my background and everywhere was you know you're either nurtured or supported and you want like I always wanted a really supportive high performing team around me so all striving for you know better numbers or more sales or could be like better in your words like what do you strive for to make things better what are your like K- KPIs it's just been just been better every day like it's not even down to numbers it's like okay if we made a dish today how can we improve it for tomorrow and after that how can we improve it for Friday and Saturday how can we make the customer experience better if it's from a TV point of view every episode has to be better than the last every series has to be better um, if it's from a book point of view like I just did my first one and it's like okay even if I only ever do one book I need to make sure that I put absolutely everything into making this as good as I think it should be. Um, now, it might not even sell one copy, but if I look I at it... I sold well by you. <laughs> okay, well, it might not even sell two copies. <laughs> but the fact that I know I've actually put left no stone unturned to make it as good as I think it can be, that's, that's good enough for me. And generally, that translates into some amount of considered success and even like in terms of a, a golf game we were going around today talking about what you learn from going to the J.P. McManus Pro-Am or going to the Irish Open and watching these guys uh, at the top level competing and it's like or the last minute of a Dublin Kerry final or the last minute of a Dublin Kerry final it's like it's all inconsequential like 
the person who's eight over versus the person who's leading the term is eight under. They're still going through the same routine and putting as much effort into the next shot as they they would be at any other point in the round. They never give up, um, and they're always trying to be better on the next shot. And I think that's I suppose a lesson a, a across life, and that's certainly how I judge myself it's it's very easy to to put yourself up against other people particularly with the social media age but if you're making one little improvement on yesterday or learning one new thing then you're constantly moving forward and and that's how you progress it's amazing how no matter what walk of life you're in people at the top are aspiring to be at the top it's always transferable like the the approach mentality resilience decision making one percent better You'll find it's like it's transferable to Dublin football or Kerry football or even Clare Hurling, <laughs> right, in my context. Or sales, business, golf. Like it's all transferable, which is why I enjoy having people like yourself on this podcast because um, playing golf is the undertone, but like there's much more on top of that. Yeah, but I'm going back to like childhood as well and how this relates to golf. Like my hero to this day, Port Harrington. And I like. I used to be getting up at like four in the morning when he used to be playing the HSP champions in China to watch like the back nine on TV. Like I just loved everything about him and to this day he's just getting better and better with age. And then I've always kind of as I get older go, Well why? What was it about this this guy that was I suppose so inspirational? And you look like as an amateur golfer he he was right up there and incredibly talented but wasn't the most lauded uh, it never looked the best in terms of game it um, sometimes failed there was a lot of seconds there was a lot of crazy shots there was all over the place but when you talk about a professional athlete who squeezed every ounce out of their talent probably and I'm sure he'd say it himself by no means the most talented golfer on the planet but in terms of getting the most out of what he had he has to be right up there in terms of all ter- time greats and that Hall was of fame. Hall of Fame Hall of Fame that was what was so appealing to me was like he was he was always he always had that idea of the underdog making it happen and and beating the best guys and beating the superstars and grinding it out and never giving up and I think without knowing it at the time was sort of I try to take that that mentality into everything I'm doing in life. It's like, never give up, keep going with the process, the next shot, the always trying to be that slight bit better and not being afraid to try a few other things to get a little bit better. What times in your this is straight out of the list of questions here? <laughs> <laughs> what times in your life truly tested your metal? Right? Mm. What did you learn about yourself by dealing with it or not dealing with it? I did cookery competitions at a young age because I was competitive and I was pr- competitive. pretty shit at most sports. But uh, this is I grew up with Fort Clay and losing <laughs> on the 18th. Should have given you the put on 17. Should have put your up from Dublin. <laughs> um, so cooking was my, I suppose, vehicle if you want in which to be competitive. Um, so I did the Eurotox Irish Young Chef of the Year in 2012, which is the the premier cooking competition for chefs under 26 and it's you're never really a head chef doing it so it's your chance to step out from the the guard of the restaurant and the head chef and actually put your own neck on the line it's top chef ireland style is it very much so yeah for for professional chefs and it's it's pretty grueling and you cook for they usually get a three mission star judge in and you're representing your restaurant and yourself and your your country almost and did in 2012 and i was fierce mad to win it like i was um up all night I was practicing coming in early and practicing at five in the morning and then doing a full day and then practicing when everyone was gone home and not sleeping not eating and 20 years of age like you're just you're just going um and I got to the competition final which on a Sunday and did my dish happy enough ended up doing really well but missing out by one point and the guy who beat me um came second and very disappointed obviously didn't deal with it well just with the lack of sleep and having not eaten um, ended up going out just ended up in hospital for a a couple of weeks after it was just really burnt out Um, not going to say I had a breakdown but it was kind of a I just ran myself into the ground and 
I wouldn't say I embarrassed myself, but I really had to look myself in the mirror, even at 20 years of age, from a professional point of view, as to what, 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 how was I actually conducting myself. Um, and then came back in 2013, did the competition again, got through to the final, and won it. And I did that by learning from 2012, and I took an approach to my career, which I've taken ever since, which was to work a little bit smarter and not harder. It's not always the person who runs the hardest or works the longest hours who actually gets to the top. It's the person who can manage their energy, manage their time, manage their creativity, and I suppose... Uh, it's like the golfer clutch. It's, the <laughs> it's like the Colin Marikawas of this world, or any like professional golfer on tour. Like the med, like they can't like around the golf is like six hours long. Mm. Like you can't be focused for six hours. Yeah, they're physically hitting the ball for like nineteen seconds. I think is yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> it's like ball on club contact. Yeah. So it's kind of that approach is like you can still be there, but like you're hyper performance, smart, not hard, four hour work week or whatever. Yeah, it was w- focusing on the things that were important and were actually going to make a difference, and focusing really hard on them and discarding all the things that were taking up time and extra effort that weren't actually making a difference. Um, kind of hard to quantify what those were, but I ended up, and I was very lucky, I worked for a very inspirational and um, supportive chef, and I said, look, for this competition, I want to do it, I want to win for myself, for you, for the restaurant, but I need this time off, and I'll, I'll work this, but I need this time to practice, I need to conserve my energy better, I need to enlist the help of a couple of other guys if they're willing to do the donkey work that's for the banquet so I don't have to deal with that stress and I can focus primarily on this, this, this and worked out the plan and went in fresh as a daisy in 2013 and and won the competition and made a decision which I've taken forward to this day which is yes I'm going to be a chef and I'm hopefully going to have a restaurant and achieve my goals but I'll also have my finger in a couple of other pies so I'll have the TV, which will feed into the restaurant. I'll have the book. I'll have the documentaries. I'll have the brand work. So um, I can achieve my goals a little quicker. Um, do it without burning myself out. Hopefully maintain a relationship with my family and friends and be able to retire at 45 and play golf for the rest of my life. <laughs> so that's, the, that's the dream, right? It's the dream. It's the 5 plan. I keep telling my wife, it's the 5 plan. Retire at 50. Or like end the graft at 50. Yeah. Uh, they call it I think in the States they call it financial freedom yes so that's what I'm aspiring to is at 50 and then I don't know maybe do something a little less stressful and do it like two days a week do you know what I mean and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that and I don't know about you but I find I've the the older I get now that I'm getting old I'm judging myself 31 now 31 yeah 30 is scary but I'm judging myself more on okay how how happy am I? How how balanced is my career versus my time off versus my relationship with my family and friends? And if that's all good, then for me that's success. Okay, you might you might not have three Michelin stars on the board at thirty one years of age, but you have a certain balance and uh, and health, and you can play your golf on a Sunday. That was bringing golf into it. One of the things I did in twenty thirteen was I'm going to book myself to play golf in Hermitage every Sunday morning at half seven, eight o'clock. So I'm gonna, that's going to stop me from ending. We would finish work at midnight, half past midnight. Easy thing to do is I'll go out for a few pints and then wake up at 12 on Sunday and waste your day. It's like, no, I'm going straight home, straight into bed. I'm up at half six, which I'd be up at anyway, and I treat my day off, fill it with my golf and going for a run and meeting up with friends. And, okay, you mightn't get as much sleep, but you've loads more energy and you feel like you have a, a balance, and golf is very, very important for that. You consult for drinks companies, right? And it's all about drinking um, better, not more. Yeah. My question, though, <laughs> is think about drinking better. I told you at the bar here, um, my news resolution was to learn how to make an old-fashioned, but make it good. So in 30 seconds or less, how do you make that? How do you make a proper old-fashioned? I wouldn't know because I'm a chef, not a bartender. Ah, but like, I can I'm, ah, but you, I'm all in. Do I'm all about flavour. I can't actually make the drinks. Sugar syrup. I can tell you what goes I well with it to eat. <laughs> okay, or because I'd put, um, I'd be crisps. I'd be like something salty, you know, old fashioned or nothing. Just maybe another old fashioned. I will tell you what, we were in. Uh, 
in politics last week with uh, Diageo. We were doing the world class, which is the kind of premium cocktail competition around the world. And in the lead up I to the cocktails on your Instagram, so I thought yes. that was a valid question. Well, it was. So we do in the lead up to the finals. Um, we do training with bartenders around the world in the different markets. So went out into the session around Zacapo, which is a rum. And what we did was we served an old-fashioned with uh, coffee syrup and bitters. Really, really simple, beautiful rum. And then I, what I do is a clever pairing. So we got a uh, Gros chocolates from County Galway. Near class. Near class. So Gronia designed a spec chocolate, which was 50% chocolate on the outside. And then we made a ganache in the middle with passion fruit, roasted coffee bean, and timber pepper from Nepal, which tastes quite almost like grapefruit peel, quite citrusy. Um, and topped it with a little bit of smoked salt. And with the Zacapa Old Fashioned, you had the chocolate, and it was kind of a ho- ideally a, a showcasing a perfect marriage between food uh, and cocktails. That gives you a little example of that work that I do. But there you go. So it's, it's Kappa rum, coffee syrup, uh, chocolate. It was chocolate bitters, and then a, a raw chocolate would be perfect Sunday evening viewing for the masters. So for you, it's not about the old fashioned; it's about the chocolate, goes with it. Yeah, because that's my job. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> what is your? Uh, I actually, this, I'm going to hit you with it anyway. Um, historical character go. Talk because you asked me that in the course, I wouldn't have to answer it here. You, I asked, actually me didn't mine. you asked me mine, I gave him the answer. Churchill, if anyone's asking, yeah, is mine. Winston with the cigar. I was good at cigars actually. Favorite historical character Ratatouille. Uh. <laughs> Do I go for the easy one or do I... Go for the easy one. Go for From the easy a chef point of view. No, I can't go for chef point of view because it's not historical enough. Oh, Paddy talks golf. I should have thought of that. I was too busy focusing on closing out that match one up. Um, my favourite historical character... Do you know, it's probably... Uh, I was watching a programme the other night on the agreement up north and that whole period of time and... Um, something to take great pride in from a being an Irish citizen. Probably someone along the lines of of John Hume or David Trimble or someone from that era, where it was like, it's just I suppose it's an example for the world and how it it can be done. And look, it's not always stable, but it's something we should be very proud of as Irish people was having a very steadfast view, even Ian Paisley to a degree. And I'm quite detached from it because look grew up in Dublin at a different time. Anyone an hour outside the border, <laughs> south generally is more detached. To be honest, like yeah, Clare, we were so far from it. I was born in the late eighties, uh, so kind of beyond that year, mid nineties, would remember some bits of what was going on, because Shannon is, is actually where a lot of people moved to from the north. It was it? Yeah, okay. It's actually Shannon. I found out afterwards, but like so far away from it. But I've had I have a lot of respect for those type of figures, particularly with that Good Friday Agreement, who were of a steadfast view and came from a community where this is the way we think, but were able to step away from that at a certain point in their life and say, well, it's not actually worth it, so let's sit down and come up with an agreement and make it work, and it has been working to this day, what is we're almost coming up on twenty five years, and they'd be people from history I'd look up to who um, were able to change their view for the better. Because I think as humans, sometimes we can be a bit stubborn, uh, particularly as men as well. Thinking, well, if I think this way, I have to stick with that forever. And um, something, something very inspirational. People who can can change for the better. That's a very deep answer to Michael, but like, totally didn't expect that, Jackie. There you go. And uh, I was going to say, like, Belfast is one of my favourite places to go. That's uh, where I bought Engagement and Wedding Ring. Wow. In Belfast. Um, do you ever do a Black Cloud tour in Belfast? I haven't, no. They are unreal. I believe so, yeah. So we did, just quick, uh, this isn't for, like, tours of Northern Ireland or other <laughs> podcasts I've sponsored by then. Um, a, a quick story. I We booked, we stayed in juries, because you know, from the south you tend to veer to juries. Um <laughs> Great deal, hotels.com. But back cab tour, picked up outside, got in, and he goes, What's your names? And I said, Podrick. Well, if this was in the early 80s, you'd have 50 50 chance you'd get shot in the spot. <laughs> I was like, Oh, right. Yeah. Um, bit, bit of jive in there or whatever. Or, um, 
but I don't think we understand really at our age how I was so how bad it was. I was like no idea no idea so I, I'm really, so really really insightful about like on the ground what happened in why the black cabs yeah. in Belfast yeah. because they burned all the buses yeah <laughs> yeah so like all of that like that's not taught in school yeah we know World War One World War Two but isn't that so amazing we, that we, we don't really cover it in school well we didn't anyway maybe we were a bit too fresh maybe they cover these days I don't know they probably do now but isn't it amazing when you think of now like Belfast when you th- ask people my age Belfast great place to go for a, a long weekend or yeah. stay or hand, have a Two beautiful meal yeah Two o'clock. Unreal. that's a testament to as I say the, the people who kind of came before us there you go um, what have you learned about other people in life be it trustworthy or kind or not, or what have I learned about other pretty, people? You're pretty, as Bill, Billy Connolly would say, you're pretty well travelled and interesting. Yeah, um, I think um, given a great piece of advice by a friend of mine recently, actually a guy called Gary O'Hanlon, um, who's a chef. Um, He's out in um, um, what's the chateau? Chateau de the Condor. France. Yeah, same guy? Yeah. Yeah. Lovely guy. Um, got, only got to know him well over the last two or three years. He said something recently, and he probably listened to this, which kind of stuck with me in a lot of work and everything, which was be not to be the first person to speak, to when you're doing anything, a meeting or in golf, or to, to listen, to oh, actually to sit back and before you say anything, just listen and then be the last to speak. And you'll have, first of all, you'll have a more considered answer you'll have thought it out better and because you're the last to speak you'll probably have the most impact out of anyone and I don't know why he kind of said it in passing we were probably playing around the golf and it stuck with me and having travelled around and been fortunate enough to whenever we travel we're generally working either doing a chef residency or working with Diageo or eating in restaurants to um to, to be a little bit curious and, and actually ask people questions I was in the Baltics last week probably went over a little bit ignorant because I didn't know much about Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. I was blown away, and just asking the the guys who were hosting from work point of view, what's life like for you, or what do you do at the weekends, or what was your first job, or what are the opportunities, or what's the property market like here, and actually stepping outside the transactional arm here for business. Yeah, listening, tunnel vision, and getting a sense of what someone who's the same age as you in the same job, well, not even the same job for that matter what their life is like and uh, and taking it all in as opposed to just going blah 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 I'm here to do this that where you don't learn anything that's brilliant and I learned that I learned that approach after being the sledgehammer in meetings for about 10 years because mm. uh, I'd be first one to object and first one to give out and first one to react yeah react lead yeah. with emotion maybe you prick and you know yeah. this type of stuff um, but you kind of have to do that to learn that there's a better way yeah but you know where I learned it? Austin Stack's GA club. Really, yeah? The league. Um, the bank manager was the manager. Stephen Stack was the manager. And Pure Kerry, stay low in the high grass. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to see us. You're going to be led in the final. You're going to be in the fucking team. <laughs> and it's the same can be said in, like, take away the verbal, the same approach, like, say nothing. Yeah. Your head down. Take it all in. Take it all in. And we'll nail them when it counts. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Pure Kerry way to do it. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of time for, for people in Kerry and their whole approach down there. <laughs> They're doing something right. They're doing something right. Um, I have corny questions. I have another question, though. Uh, what is your... Because uh, I tend to ask this of like people in, in, in golf. Yeah. Like, um, tea time. Your tea time is... Give me, give me... Your tea time is... We'll say it's 10 a.m. on Sunday in Hermitage. Yeah. What's your morning like? What's your... It's captain's prize or it's monthly medal or it's, it's one of the majors in Hermitage. What's your... Do you plan out your morning and your practice? or How, how do you prepare for that tea time? First of all, the tea time's too late. I'd be like... I'd be straight on waiting for that 7.30 tea time. First yeah, day. Come here to me. Yeah, you were four minutes late on the server on the Monday like I was. Okay. And, and you don't have a choice. You got in on the waiting list. It's 10.01 tea yeah. time. Touch shit, Mark. Um, what am I doing 10 o'clock? Um, probably just rock up 20 minutes beforehand don't overthink it if I'm really feeling like I'm going to be professional I might have a few chips and then I'll definitely just throw myself up in the pudding green you chipped in today I didn't chip in I nearly chipped in you chipped in 
you flopped one and then you chipped it. Oh, I did, yeah, yeah. No, I chipped him for double bogey, so I, I, I wish it was fire. <laughs> um, and then a few four-footers, because if you get the speed of the greens, you can hold four-footers all day, you'll probably play all right. I'll probably chat to Simon Byrne over a coffee about something else. And then the attitude is very much about, I'm just actually happy to be out. The minute I start trying at golf, that's when it all goes tits up. <laughs> It's like I said, who are you going to pick for the Masters? Now it's gone and gone and passed, and hopefully Rory has won me a pile of money, even at uh, seven to one. Um, I might get my finger out and put this out like next week now because <laughs> it's not a Masters talk. Um, I said, for if you're ever back on golfers, who should you back? Oh, do you remember? You should back the the injured one. Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah. So whenever yeah. Harrington is injured, you back him. Yeah. And back the golfer who just got married. Yeah. Like in year one. Yeah. Right, so it'd be rare year two weeks, yeah. like John Rand, Max Homa, you know, they're probably okay. So, um, just had a kid, yeah, or just found out they're having a kid, yeah, and that's your background check for who's going to win win tournaments because all of a sudden golf isn't the most important thing in the world, so they 100%. they free up 100%. Well, on that, this is obviously going to be time stamped, I'm sure the Masters will have happened, but I'm going for Brooks Kepka, got him at 40 to 1, and heavily, 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 heavily. nothing to lose. Seems like the kind of guy that would love Nothing the kind of... He just won four million. Well, yeah, <laughs> true enough. Just got married and uh, coming back from injury. Yeah, I watched... Um, I'm happy to watch him full swing for a second time. This time, first time was with my mate, who's not a golfer, and now is a golfer. Mm. And now, because I want my wife to play, I'm like, she's, she's like, okay, I'll watch full swing. Yep. And she's into it. But we were both remarking on how... I mean, I'd be like the mindset he was in last year... But him in full swing, week of the Masters, and, and that way they covered him, he was like the self talk was f- incredibly poor. Mm. Do you know? So I hope, like, I do like him, but but not really since the show, because I just showed like how maybe like the arrogance level and even like how he treats people. So I think his dad was at the Masters and he missed. I saw that was an interesting interaction. Yeah, no. I really did, and it's just interesting. Yeah. Compare that to other people on tour, time for everyone, but. Um, Quick hard Q&A, Mark Bernard. Love it. Let's do it. This is the only question you needed to prepare, because uh, the rest is about you, bar the historical character one. That really stumped me. <laughs> what would your walk-on song be? <laughs> uh, uh, my wife would kill me because I got a, the only thing I was allowed to do at my wedding was pick the walk-in song, and it was the um, We're All Part of Jackie's Army Italian 90s song, Classic. which I loved. It was great. It was a it wasn't the best moment of the day, but it was up there. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine got um, a neighbour lives across the road from Kerry. She's from Dublin, and their walk-in song was the Sunday game theme tune. Brilliant! And I saw the video of it, and it looked brilliant. Because <laughs> Harrison's from Kerry, like they went class, mad, dancing on chairs and everything. <laughs> Played the full thing. It wasn't just <laughs> for like two, three minutes. Long. Gym or pizza? Pizza, easy. How does a chef do pizza? Um, this quick fried cuisine is in general quick, so don't Find a really good wood fired pizza place and order it. But actually, not everyone has a wood fired oven at home, let's be honest. So, Umi's Umi's are big there, Joe. Umi's are big during lockdown. You don't need them. So, I had a recipe that's coming in the book, which is coming in October. The plug. Uh, the plug oh, was also in one of the shows with Narty. It was a, a hot pan pizza. So, everyone has a grill and a, a pan at home. So you make the dough, you can look it up online in RT, and uh, you start the, the dough, you roll it out, you put it in a pan, and put it on a high flame on your hob, so it makes it crispy underneath, then you throw your toppings on it, and you put it on the roaring hot grill, and it blasts it from on top, so it's all the kind of function of a wood-fired oven where you get the heat underneath and on top, but you can do it at home, and um, it's a good recipe for, for a nice pizza at home. You said my wife used to make her own pizzas and used to do the whole dough thing and it rise and then you used to roll them into balls and freeze them. Yeah. And then yeah. And yeah. Do all that. Until uh, we were shredding for the wedding and then that was <laughs> the pizza thing out <laughs> the window. Nice way to spend the weekend though, the kind of the whole process from start to finish. There's great satisfaction yeah. making your own pizzas. Absolutely. Hat, visor, or bucket hat? Ooh. Uh, Big ginger head medium, you show that off. Uh, probably the hat, yeah. Definitely the hat. I used to have a Rory McIlroy hat I used to wear on my J1 when I was working Brookline with the Jumeirah on the front, and used to think I was the, the dog's bollocks. I was a real loser. 
Happy Gilmore or Tim Cook? Happy Gilmore. Walk or Gout? Oh, walk, yeah. Take it over. God hoodies, yes or no? Um, if I had the body shape that makes them look good, which I don't, I'd say yes. But I've got a little pot belly and slim shoulders, so it just never looks as good on me as it does when we're macro on a Sunday night. And my wife's always going to to me, I go, that looks good on Roy, doesn't it? And she goes, oh, you, you'll buy it, will you? And you go, yeah. And then I go, just not going to look the same on me because I'm a big apple. Just don't get the time you're always. <laughs> they like cling a bit. Get the organism born. Class. Yeah, I must, I must look up the... Although I, 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 I've gotten out of control, like I have more golf clothes now than... Oh, like than anything else. I, you know. I, I, my, my golf wardrobe is much larger than my actual yeah, wardrobe. Yeah, it is, yeah. Instagram or Twitter? Uh, Instagram I use for work and food, full on. Don't like sharing too much personally. And Twitter is great for getting news quickly and golf. And then I do love when the TV show goes out getting the old Twitter trolls getting at you. That, that means you're doing something right. No deleted tweets? No deleted tweets, no. It's all out there. I don't say anything. <laughs> it's a cesspit, so there's no point even putting yourself out there. Play or practice? Uh, play. Yeah, I don't... Well, I don't practice that much, but I... Golf is very much about uh, four hours in, out in the fresh air, so I'm even from playing shy, I'm happy to walk around. We were under four today. We were under four today because we were hitting... Uh, well, you were hitting fairies and greens, which yeah. kept everything moving. Around. Match player was always a bit quick. Yeah. Pick it up there. Not counting any casual scores this year. For anybody any, any <laughs> trolls out there, there's no casual casual <laughs> score on Paddy's line. Put it just this year. And yeah, that is the end of the episode. I did go on to ask Mark for his people down the left and people down the right for Mark Moriarty's candlelit dinner, and um, the fire corrupted. And yeah, but you can find him tonight on at 8 p.m. on Off Duty Chef. I hope you enjoyed that episode. A little bit different. Something I've wanted to do for a long time is interview people outside of golf, people like me who are golf nuts and may maybe perhaps in the in the uh, public eye a little bit more. Something I want to do more is actually interview and get people who listen to the show on, you know, um, and get on certain topics. So if that's of interest, put it in your uh, podcast review this week. Um, if you don't know how to do that. You go to Apple or Spotify, the two main places. I think you do Google as well. And um, you go on to the, the show home and you go to rating and you hit five stars. And you say, this is a great show. Share with all your family and friends. And please do that. Share this show with your family and friends in your WhatsApp groups, in your Facebook groups. And let people know we are here. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Mark. Watch his show. Leave him a review as well. Buy his book. When the restaurant opens, book a meal. Um, same bad show. Same bad show, same bad show, same bad time. Something like that. Next week, Tuesday, Charlene Reed, professional in Royal Portrush Golf Club, saved herself as episode 150, as that's a lovely number when you're dealing with open venues. Uh, until we teed up again soon, I'm Paddy. <laughs>